What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Blockhash Exploring the Blockchain, episode 376. Happy New Year, guys. It's 2024. It's going to be a very exciting year to see how the crypto and blockchain uh, ecosystems start to really surface. You know, it's been a hard last couple of years, uh, the, the bear market that we've been going through and the amount of attacks that we've seen from government and government agencies as well as other companies, other financial institutions on the industry and it weathering that storm so well to the point where we've actually entered a bull market. The very beginning signs of it, we're heading towards Bitcoin's having in the next couple of months. We have ETF approvals, a huge historical milestone for this industry and so many more exciting things that we're going to be looking forward to this year. So this episode is dedicated to the beginning of 2024 and really highlighting the good, the bad, and the ugly that has happened so far in January to start the year. Um, quick update for the show. We have a couple awesome guests coming on the show. Uh, a couple of delays are in place right now because of sickness, but we will have those recordings edited and published relatively soon. So be on the lookout for some awesome interviews to kick off the new year. Uh, a lot is slated. So there's going to be some fantastic projects, companies, um, individuals, you name it, you know, really sharing their expertise on the space and you know where things are probably going to go in 2024. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the charts. We're going to look into what's happening with Bitcoin. I know there's a lot of people interested in trying to understand why Bitcoin is not skyrocketing, why it's not going to the moon, why is it not breaking all-time highs and worth $100,000, $200,000. Well, there's reasons for that, very legit reasons. And it's part of you know this narrative that happens often with Bitcoin and crypto of people buying the hype and selling the news, but also what larger institutions are doing. You wanted these people in the game, you wanted their money, but that comes with concessions at the same time. So we're going to talk about that stuff. Uh, we'll talk about a few things in the news that I think are relevant. Also, this is election year in the U.S. Um, I was gifted this for Christmas, so I think I'm, I'm going to definitely show you guys this. I got a little Trump, Trumpinator bobblehead. Um, this is not an endorsement of Donald Trump, but it is a freaking cool bobblehead. I wish I had one for each presidential candidate. Um, so this might go in the background. You might see that we're going to, you know, try and lay out some shelving and put up some cool shit at some point. So um, stay tuned for that in the future. Anyways, let's let's dive into what's happening news wise, and then we'll jump into the charts. So the first thing I want to go over today is FTX having sold about a billion dollars of Grayscale's Bitcoin ETF. All right. Now, why did they do this? Why did this happen? And why is the Bitcoin price reacting so neg negatively to this? All right, we're going to read through this article real quick, get the gist of it, give you my thoughts at the end. Uh, don't pay attention to the silly ads in the in the article. Don't know why they put them there. It's really annoying. So um, investors have sold more than $2 billion worth of Grayscale Bitcoin trust since it was converted into an exchange-traded fund earlier this month. A large chunk of that exodus in FTX's was ex FTX's bankruptcy estate dumping 22 million shares, according to uh, private data CoinDesk re uh, reviewed and a couple of people familiar with the matter. 
So a slew of spot Bitcoin ETFs began trading on January 11th after the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission initially approved them on January 10th. But the Grayscale Fund has already ex um, existed for a decade, structured as a less attractive closed-end fund and had accumulated close to $30 billion in assets uh, when the SEC approved its conversion to an ETF along with lessing two newly created Bitcoin ETFs. So while the new funds issued by the likes of BlackRock and Fidelity have seen inflows, uh, billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin have been pulled out of grayscale Bitcoin. Uh, now, the data Coindesk saw suggests FTX accounted for much of that, like 22 million shares of it that was sold. Um, FTX's GBTC ownership went all the way down to zero, worth close to about a billion dollars. Um, now, Bitcoin has tumbled in price since the ETFs were approved for many reasons. We're going to talk into that you know, just in, in a bit here. Um, also, fair to note, it's not just Grayscale. But, you know, Grayscale has had a huge part in it. They have to have um, cash on hand for people that are looking to exit Grayscale's Bitcoin trust, converting it into an ETF. So they've had to move millions and millions of dollars in Bitcoin to Coinbase, I believe over a billion dollars to Coinbase. And that has kind of spooked the markets thinking that Grayscale is going to sell all this money. The reality is they might sell a large chunk of it. They could sell all of it, but it's not because they're trying to dump on the market. They're trying to crush the market. They're doing it because they legally have to. <laughs> People have to be able um, to exchange in for their cash if they want to, since they're kind of getting grandfathered in from the trust itself with Grayscale into a Grayscale ETF. Anyways, that's what's going on with Grayscale. Jumping over to... The next piece of news here. Um, do, 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 do. StreamYard makes it a little bit more complicated than it needs to be. Um, on the plus side of things, I want to show you how much BlackRock is actually buying, which is quite insane. Uh, but uh, let's see. Let's jump down to here. So BitMEX research data reveals a significant net inflow of $260.6 million for BlackRock's IBIT ETF on the seventh day of trading. On the seventh day of trading. It's wild. I believe crypto within the couple, uh, two days, three days was like, you know, or crypto, Bitcoin um, ETFs were like the second biggest ETFs in the world, surpassing even silver. It's It's wild. So while the BlackRock Bitcoin ETF holds an AUM of $1.6 billion, on the other hand, a substantial net outflow of $640 million from the Grayscale uh, ETFs like we talked about, um, this was back the other day, pushes total net outflow to a staggering $3.4 billion, which is very large, but at the same time, there's been a tremendous amount of inflows. These outflows are necessary events that have to happen Um there's also a lot of market makers, a lot of people that are shorting. You know, this stuff is expected to happen here in the first few weeks of ETF trading and probably the first month or so. So not overly surprised. Now, on the seventh day of trading, um, it was witnessed that a total net outflow of 87 million from 12 spot Bitcoin ETFs. Uh, the total inflows of these ETFs amount to $1.09 billion. Jesus. A lot of money that flows in. Uh, you know, you negate 
Grayscale's outflow that they have for right now, you're you're looking at some seriously positive numbers flowing into those ETFs. Um, the, there's more information here on Fidelity's ETF, ARC 21 shares. Uh, Fidelity had a combined inflow to date of $3.13 billion. ARC 21 shares attracted an inflow of $65 million. Valkyries BRRR had an inflow of $9.7 million. Um, so the lion's share of these inflows have been going to BlackRock. That's abundantly clear. And you can see this stuff um, on the BitMix research breakdown here. Um, which is also crazy to note is how much Bitcoin these asset managers have been buying under the table, especially BlackRock, like every single day, buying hundreds of millions of dollars in Bitcoin. Absolutely crazy. Let's see if we can pull that up real quick. Uh, BlackRock, Bitcoin, buying. Yeah. BlackRock spot Bitcoin ETF now holds more than $1 billion in Bitcoin as of January 18th. So as of last week. So if you think about it, they started trading on the 11th. We're going to count the day of approval, the 10th. So within eight days, BlackRock OTC acquired a billion dollars in Bitcoin. That's wild. And the fact that they, you know, also they're doing this stuff not to move the market, doing it over the counter, under the table, however you like to say it. Um, while a lot of these outflows are hitting the market, that's why you're not seeing Bitcoin pop. You're seeing the reverse effect. And they do it strategically for a reason. I've had to explain this to a bunch of people, but if you're a large asset manager, why would you want to move the market right now? Knowing very well, there's a lot of people shorting the market. Futures markets have shorted. Um, you look at obviously what's happening with Grayscale. You look at FTX. Um, you know, there's a lot of money getting sold off at this point in time. Why would you buy in and try and move the market? So buying under the table has tremendous benefit for BlackRock and these asset managers long term. And the fact that they get massive positions and the prices actually stay relatively the same or actually are cheaper. Bitcoin has actually uh, dropped 20% since the ETF approval. And if you're BlackRock buying up Bitcoin, you know, I don't know if they've locked in a value. I don't know if, you know, it's an agreed purchase price or whatever it is, but you know, the market value of Bitcoin has come down at least 20%, probably a little bit more than that as of today. And we'll look at that. Um, but it puts them in a very good position where they're actually acquiring a lot more for the same amount of money. That's, that's what you do if you're an asset manager, you're a smart trader, you're a smart investor. So, you know, nothing is really much of a surprise there. Now we're going to jump over to wonderful Elizabeth Warren. I want to say something about her. She is a terrible senator. All right. I've said it a few times. And I will continue to say it until she's out of a job. She's terrible. Nothing she puts forth in terms of legislation ever goes through. And she has sponsored a whole bunch of shit and barely that stuff has gone through. And she's pushing this terrible narrative right now that the entire crypto market, even Bitcoin, is largely backed by criminals, by money laundering, um, by bad actors, by hackers. And 
that that's not what the data supports. You know, she's made such bad claims that <laughs> she's even been uh, community noted on X, right? She's been talking about how uh, the US GAO, uh, again, this is, you know, government talking here, whether you believe them or not, reporting can uh, report confirms that rogue nations are using crypto to dodge sanctions and undermine national security. Um, and that it's time for crypto to follow the same anti money laundering rules as everyone else. And she's got another bill to make it happen. Good luck. Good luck, Miss Warren. Um, but the US Treasury Department, actually, as of February 2022, has stated that the National Money Laundering Risk Assessment Report states that fiat is the preferred currency for financial crimes. All right, to the tune of millions and millions of dollars, if we want to be quite frank. Um, I was going to find some numbers for you. I thought they were in here. Maybe they're at the bottom. Maybe they're hiding somewhere. Eh. So I'll find it for you. But what I ended up seeing was essentially Elizabeth Warren and some in the Senate and in the House. Why, where, where is? Okay. I'm going to leave this pulled up for you. Um, but she's claiming that, you know, there's a cartel that got caught using like $900,000 in crypto for uh, money laundering purposes to wash money, clean money into the U.S., other places, jurisdictions, et cetera. And they, they're really undermining actual facts when they bring this stuff to Capitol Hill. Like they go, oh, $900,000 in crypto used to launder money for cartel. Crypto is bad. But in the reality, in just the last couple of years, They've laundered $900 million in U.S. dollars. So go figure. Um, could crypto be used for nefarious purposes? Sure. But honestly, it, when it's a public ledger, that makes it much more difficult. And it's permanent. And it's immutable. So if you know what you're doing and you know how to track this stuff, and you know how to make it difficult for someone to move money around through a crypto ecosystem then it is not an effective method. There's honestly very few ways to do that effectively in crypto nowadays than there were years ago. Could it be done today? Yeah, true. I mean, you could use something like, you know, uh, Zcash, Monero, ZK Snark technology, something a bit more privacy oriented. You could use um, some of these uh, washing machine things for crypto. Um, like Tornado Cash, for example. I know Tor used to have one. They used to, it was like a washing, oh, called a tumbler. Um, there's lots of little tricks and things that people could potentially do at some point, but there's a lot of risk. They're very expensive. They can be dangerous and it's, it's not worth it, especially if you're a cartel. It's too much to try and move into crypto, move the crypto, and then move out of crypto. Um, once you have it in crypto, how do you move it out cleanly? That's why you need dollars. Um, you know, I don't know how many of you watch Ozark, but it's a really good depiction of, you know, what it's like, I guess, to wash money and launder it through the U S. Um, and he was always doing it through businesses and investing it into businesses and cleaning money that way through cash and then getting clean money deposited into the banks. Um, because it, it's all, you know, tax money and it's all on a balance sheet and it's all reported and that's hard to do with crypto. 
because you can't always tell where the original, you know, the point of origin was for it. Um, so it doesn't make it that, you know, good of a money laundering tool. You know, there's, there's not a lot of good use cases for that. And people in this industry really aren't building out use cases for that. It's not something that we want to do. So it's just stupid when you see politicians, you know, bitching about crypto being used for money laundering when it hardly ever is. I bet if you talk, if you ever got a chance to talk to one of these cartel bosses, I bet they'd tell you the same thing. It's, it's not efficient. It's not feasible enough for them. Physical cash is still king when it comes to that kind of stuff. Crypto actually makes it harder. If we lived in a system where Bitcoin was, um, you know, legal tender like El Salvador, it'd be much harder. There's, there's a point to doing it, guys. There's a point to crypto. And it beats back against the drum of crime. All right. Um, here we are. All right. So I'm going to go through the Bitcoin chart for you. And we're just going to do the Bitcoin chart today. There's really nothing to talk about across the crypto market. Everything is up. Everything is down accordingly. Um, you know, the altcoin is out there. Everything from Ethereum to your mainstay chains like Polkadot and Cardano and Solana to remittance currencies like XLM and XRP uh, to oddities like HBAR or Filecoin or, you know, it's not worth covering right now. They don't have any potential right now until Bitcoin solidifies itself. Because a lot of the money that goes into altcoins comes from Bitcoin. And if you believe in the Bitcoin cycle and Bitcoin mathematically has proven that cycle time and time again, then it's not time for altcoins to really do anything. So it's not worth talking about. Altcoins will move here and there. 10% this way, 10% that way, 15% this way, 15% that way, fine. But let's focus on Bitcoin because that's going to tell us what's going on. So looking at our first breakout of what was a inflection zone and consolidation phase, we talked about this a lot. Um, Bitcoin had a long time coming to try and get through 30, 31,000. Um, it struggled all the way up until about mid to late October, and then Bitcoin finally made the push out as we were getting players like BlackRock and Fidelity and VanEck and Wisdom Tree, you know, really hammering on these Bitcoin ETFs, um, actually gave the market hope that it was going to happen. So you saw a buying frenzy, and then you saw the market continue to climb after having broken out from that 31,000 level, and we just didn't look back. We got as high as 44, 45,000. We chopped around and hovered. And then came January 10th, we got the approvals. January 11th, ETF started trading for the first time. And we got this sh really short spike all the way up to about 48, 9, 49,000. We'll give it 48, 9. And then it just dropped, it just dropped off a cliff and potentially still dropping. So what, what is this drop? Let's measure this. Let's go to the price range um, from 48.9 to its low today. We have dropped 21% in the last couple of weeks here in January, ever since the Bitcoin ETF 
was confirmed and started trading. Um, again, we've talked about this. This is a situation where people really, truly, they bought the hype, the narrative itself, and sold the news. And smart institutions, smart investors, smart players took advantage of that. They shorted the market. They shorted in futures. They sold off ETFs. There were a lot of outflows. You see FTX dumping. You see uh, Grayscale having to move billion dollars plus in Bitcoin to Coinbase so that it can be liquidated in case people want to claim their money. Um, they have to be able to sell it. So it has created a little bit of havoc on the Bitcoin price. And that is fine. It is totally fine. Honestly, I'm glad that this is happening. I'm glad that it's happening now um, before we get to the halving because the halving is going to come in April. All right, we have our little light blue stick um, titled have, ha, having. <laughs> um, I don't remember what day in April, but I'm just saying around April here, we're going to get it. Um, so we have plenty of time for Bitcoin's price to consolidate, find a nice range, chop around, and then find some positivity. Um, but this is good. You're flushing out a lot of weak hands here, a lot of people that were only buying up this news. And we'll see where this lands. Um, a lot of people are calling for a 30% pullback. All right. 30% would take us to um, 34,000. I mean, I don't want to see us go to 34,000, but we could. Um, we have a lot of chopping support, you know, around just above 34,000, just under 37,000. So, I don't honestly think we drop a whole lot lower here. We could, but I'm going to say that we're getting close to bottoming out. Um, this trend is kind of gone. We're going to knock that out. We have a long-term trend in Bitcoin since the beginning of 2023, um, showing where there is you know, a price high when Bitcoin starts to spike and it bounces off that, um, comes down or consolidates for a, some either short period of time like we saw March 2023 or a long period of time all the way until September, October of 2023. Um, but it keeps bouncing off this line, which is fine. It's moving in the right direction. This is what we want to see right now. Bitcoin is going to correct. It's going to correct hard. It's way overdue for that. Um, but I don't think it's going to correct too much further. So that should be the good news for most of you out there. Looking at the RSI. We are not oversold yet, believe it or not, for Bitcoin on the daily. So this could go a little bit further. Um, and it has in the past where Bitcoin has gotten oversold around uh, uh, late August. But it hasn't really been oversold since it um, was really tanking in 2022. So I don't imagine that Bitcoin's going to go too much further. The yellow line might come down and tap the 30.73, um, but we'll probably bounce. All right. So that's what I'm looking at. Uh, we can pull up the MACD as well. I usually like to do that. Just, um, oh, I stopped sharing. Don't know why I did that. Let's bring it back up. Share screen. Go to here. All right. Make sure that looks right. Okay. Um, let's go to 
indicators. Go to MACD. Uh, MACD, you know, similar thing. Uh, below the moving average here, a lot of sell volume. Obviously, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, but I do like seeing these kinds of patterns where the blue line gets overextended beyond the moving average. We haven't had any positive volume in weeks, honestly. Um, you can honestly say we haven't had any since ETFs were approved. Ever since then, it's been downhill. But that's fine. If that's the only true catalyst pushing this market down, then I'm very optimistic to see what the rest of this year looks like for Bitcoin. Because um, once this narrative is over, we're on to the halving cycle. Once the halving cycle narrative is over, we're you know full go, full send for Bitcoin. And we'll see what happens because you can only sell so much. And the inflows are consistent as fuck for Bitcoin. That is the good news. So guys, be patient if you're really investing right now. Um, this is also a pretty good time to maybe consider this being oversold moving 20 percent, 21 percent already i like that um we'll go back to rsi real quick but uh we're getting into the realm of oversold for bitcoin on the daily okay should we check out the weekly just to expand upon this you look at the weekly it's fine all right We've actually had a huge rally for Bitcoin on the weekly, and we've had two bad weeks. It's okay. Um, on the Bollinger Band, we're still nowhere near having to worry about flipping um, to the downside and you know losing the momentum. So we'll be calm. Same thing on the daily. Um, oh, maybe not on the daily. Excuse me. Um, on the daily, we're definitely through. Uh, the moving average on the Bollinger Band and the, the lower band. But, you know, the thing about Bollinger Bands, if I'm going to be completely honest, it's better for short-term trading. Like if you want to be a day trader or a swing trader, I've always used Bollinger Bands because they give me a relative idea of direction. But I wouldn't use it for long-term unless you want to zoom way out to maybe like a weekly chart or or further. Um, the other thing you can do is you can adjust the deviation for these bands to be a little bit more accurate for the length and time that you're looking at on the chart. You want to coincide some of those things um, so that it makes sense to you when you're looking at the data. Um, but that's that's Bitcoin. It, we can really zoom out if you want and show you that in 2021, this is what Bitcoin looked like. Um, this was a very big drop, 55%. And that 55% happens, you know, around April 2021. Um, this initial pop happens in early January before retreating how much? Let's see. Retreating 32%. After retreating 32%, we had the relief rally and Bitcoin started moving very fast by the end of January. So who knows? Uh, the harder Bitcoin falls and the faster Bitcoin falls, the faster these sellers get liquidated, the better. Honestly, I would rather see Bitcoin wick down 20, 30 percent, get it over with. We're already down 20. Might as well make it 30. All right. 
Um, but we're on track for what we did in 2021, almost identically. Um, again, beginning of January, rallied up positive, massive dump. And then we turn a corner come end of January, heading into February. And then Bitcoin just does not look back um, all the way up until until 20, until April of 2021. Remember the halving, the last halving was in 2020. So this is not necessarily identical, but there is some similarities here um, in the last three years. If you want to go back to 2020, um, we would really have to zoom in on this chart, but it just got fucking wrecked because of COVID. Um, but and then Bitcoin just didn't look back. It just kept going. Um, you also got to consider this parabolic shift in Bitcoin's volume. This is nothing compared to what Bitcoin should be able to do. Um, this is the slow grind up that we saw back here in 2020. Sorry for the sniffles, guys. I, I am a little sick today. But this is the 2020 um, grind up that we had ever since COVID. And that is what you're comparing to here. The volume that you should see in Bitcoin should be astronomical. You know, we're going to go to 100,000. It's all the way up here. Bitcoin isn't going to just slowly make its way up here all the way until 2020, 2025, 2026. No. If it's going to do it this year or it's going to do it before the beginning of 2025, then it's going to go whoop. All right? You're going to see some God fucking candles. I'm telling you. There are a lot of similarities, a lot of things to look for um, in different periods, sometimes in the same periods for Bitcoin. You know, we can really zoom out on this thing as far as you want. Um, but just trust the chart and the math. Bitcoin is backed by its tokenomics, by its math, and by the cycle that it lives in. And it will adjust accordingly. This 30% could happen. All right. Um, don't be surprised if it comes down to 35,000 or somewhere around there. But already being down 21%, unless there's something else out there that pushes Bitcoin down or unless this selling just continues to happen, um, you know, this could be where Bitcoin bottoms out. We'll see what happens. Um, no guarantees. But I am anticipating if I really have to predict something, I think that Bitcoin will get to 50,000 by the time we get to the halving. I do think Bitcoin will recover from this pullback and slump and will rise 50,000. Um, and then we'll get to the halving. Maybe we'll have a final correction pullback phase. And then maybe we just fucking go for it over the summer, maybe into the fall. It, it's it's kind of hard to tell, but um, I'm just very optimistic about where Bitcoin's going. And this is healthy. This isn't unhealthy. It's it's healthy. So don't mind what's happening in the market. Just you know, do your due diligence and think about things wisely. All right, guys, that's today's episode. We've been on for 30 minutes, uh, talk about the news, talk about Bitcoin charts, um, working a couple episodes. Those will come out soon. I promise we'll have some great interviews for you guys to learn more about what's happening around the tech and within Web3. And um, with the podcast, we're going to try and also do a couple things. So if you've been paying attention to some of the posts we put out, you probably know this already. If you don't, then this will be a first for you. But uh, number one, Trying to work on, and this is also like a personal goal for me for like the podcast, trying to work on 
doing a daily episode. I want to do something that's Monday through Friday where we can talk about the news, relevant events, topics, breaking news, uh, go over charts, look at things that are occurring in politics or other tech. Um, really want to bring you guys a show on a daily basis at a set time that's maybe 15 or 20 minutes long as an episode, uh, but it's you know packed enough that you get actual value out of it, but efficient enough so that you can listen to it real quick um, while you're in the car or on the bus or going for a run or at the gym or in the shower or making food or taking your dog out, whatever it may be, you know, maybe 15, 20 minute episodes, just highlighting what's going on. I think that's, you know, that's coming. I'm just trying to figure out how I want to align that, what times I want to do it. Um, so let me know if you guys prefer having daily episodes like that at nine in the morning, five o'clock at night, prime time. You, you tell me what you guys prefer. Um, or if it doesn't matter to you and you'll listen to it any time during the day. Um, the second thing is I think I also want to broaden the podcast a lot more. There's a lot of great things happening in other tech, and I want to link blockchain to those other industries. So while we'll still be having a heavy focus on Web3 and emerging tech around Web3 and blockchain and crypto and all these great things we love, and of course, Bitcoin, um, I want to talk about AI. I want to talk about IoT. I want to talk about cloud computing and auto and robotics and gaming and VR, AR and the metaverse. Um, so we did a little bit of that in 2023 and we're going to do more of that this year in 2024 and really try and include more communities and integrate them into our audience. So um, that's kind of the plan. So stay tuned for more information on that as I kind of figure out how to get that into a solidified schedule for people and to get into a routine. I also got to get myself into a routine. I'm not used to doing something on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so I got to make sure the turnaround time is good. Do I want to do it live, record it, edit it, and then put it out the next day or same day? So um, more info to come, but thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, always appreciate it. Hope you guys are having an amazing 2024. Make sure to um, like this video wherever it may be and subscribe to the podcast, to the channel, whether you're on Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music, or YouTube, or on social media, give a follow. I uh, really do appreciate all of you guys, and I'll see you on the next episode. Cheers.